This, this, this is, 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 is. Fight Disciples. Welcome to episode 232 of the world famous and multi award winning Fight Disciples podcast. As you can see, my usual partner in crime has gone missing again because guess who's in town? What is where going is on? Where are you, Adam? Exactly. We've been looking for you, mate. Exactly. People are starting to wonder whether it's the same person <laughs> because they're never in the same room together. It's fear, I think. I think he's, he's, he's fearful of getting choked out. Is that what it is? We yeah. did have dinner together, though. I mean, we had, we had a chat. We had a good conversation. But then after that, I thought we were going to be best friends after that. And then he's not showed twice now. Absolutely embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for you, Cattle. Um, anyway, matey, I had you on Radio City Talk Show this week. Obviously, we broke down the full Cage Warriors card from the weekend. If you're interested in that, check it out. That's on our feed, at Fight Disciples. And of course, we've got tons of content across our social media, at Fight Disciples, fightdisciples.com for much more, including our boxing show this week, which is obviously a big preview to Amir Khan's return in Birmingham this weekend. But of course, we're sitting here, matey. We've got our bags packed. We're a couple of days away from flying out to Dallas. Bags are packed, sitting right next to me. I'm, I'm just waiting for my ticket to arrive. I can't Excited? wait. Excited? Oh, I can't, can't wait. And we weren't supposed to be going. That's Originally, the best thing. Originally, it, it kind of come on us because, obviously, you're not down to do comms for the UFC with it not being an Emea show. But then our friends over at the BBC were like, okay, boys, let's right. do it. Let's make it happen. Parachute these guys in. Give them a microphone. Yeah, I, I I was very surprised. I didn't expect to be out there. I was expecting to be sat on my sofa at home at three o'clock in the morning, ready for the main card to start, absolutely bouncing. And now I'm going to be there. I'm going to be banging on everything and just <laughs> shaking people. It's so exciting. It's a whole. I mean, the whole card's good. There's some real interesting matchups on there, but it's all about the main event, isn't it? Yeah, of it's course it is. Yeah, of event. course it is. Obviously, we experienced Darren Till's. Well, we're literally in the shadow of the Echo Arena right now. We experienced that until bringing UFC to Liverpool. We experienced that sweet Caroline walkout, which will live long in the memory. How do you think that's going to go down in Dallas? I don't think they're going to know how to deal with it. I'm, I'm not sure they exactly know what it is. I'm, I'm hoping there's enough people in the arena to sing along, though, because I don't want to be on my own. <laughs> that's for sure. I don't want to be on my own. I was singing that for three weeks after the fight. I think it's going to be great. And, uh, you know, I, I like the Phil Collins. I think Mick Stanton walked out to Phil Collins at Cage Warriors 96. I like the Phil Collins thing, but sometimes you need something that just kind of rallies the the arena behind you. And I think, to be honest, even though Tyron Woodley's the American fighter in this one, I think there are going to be a lot of people pulling for Darren Till, just purely because they're sick of watching Tyron Woodley hold on to his belt for 25 minutes. Yeah, exactly. I think there's you know there's been a bit of a backlash with Tyron Woodley because of his his, his reign as welterweight champion. Mm. It's not been that entertaining. You know, I, I, I spoke to him. Um, just last week and it'll be on Fight Disciples later this week the full interview as an audio podcast but I spoke to him and I said you know are you disappointed that you know, you've been champion for two years and you've only actually defended the belt three times and his, his comeback to me was well I've been really busy in the first 12 months I made three defences inside 12 months and said but you've done nothing in 13 months and his answer was well I was waiting to, for a viable challenger to come forward that's not the sound of a, a world champion to me Dan a world champion wants to stay busy and wants to fight you know, wherever he can Absolutely. And I mean, you go back to Darren's performance at the Echo after after the uh, the Wonderboy fight. One of the things that he said on the mic to me was that he wants to fight everybody. They're all going to get it. I won't repeat exactly what he said, but they're all going to get it. He wants to fight everybody in the division to, to prove without question that he was the best welterweight. And for me, Tyron Woodley, it just feels like he's trying to pick off the guys that are worth the most money. He keeps talking about the GSP fight. I think, to be honest, that's a great matchup for Tyron Woodley. Yep. Because he can shut down GSP's wrestling offensive and force him to deal with the right hand. And claim that 
and the best welterweight legacy kind of mantle as well. Absolutely. But but the thing is, even if he did beat GSP, I, I, I still need to see him fight some of the, the current contenders in the division. Damian Maia is a, a great grappler. Wonderboy is a great counter-striker, but neither of them have really got the skill sets that are going to really push and test Woodley. He needs someone that can wrestle hard like GSP that's going to test his conditioning or someone that's going to be aggressive in the striking range that's going to force him to, to do something. And I think that's where Darren comes in. The difference between Darren and, and Wonderboy, obviously when they fought in Liverpool, very well matched, you know, an absolute chess match for, for p- people like ourselves with striking backgrounds who fell in love with fight sports through striking. You know, it was it was an absolute joy to watch. It was edgy as seat stuff because you knew it was a very fine line between them making a mistake and getting put to sleep. The difference here though for me is the fact that, you know, yes, both elite strikers, but the difference between Wonderboy and Till is that Wonder uh, Till strikes to hurt you, yes. whereas Wonderboy strikes to score points, to cumulative effort. Darren Till strikes to put you asleep. He does, he does. And, I mean, if you look at the way that they fought each other, that's a very good uh, very good indication of the, of the way that they fight. Because Darren Till was moving forward, Wonderboy was moving backwards. If, if Wonderboy had had it his way, he would have been moving back in the Woodley fight as well. But because Woodley wanted to stand with his back against the fence and wait for Wonderboy to, to make his move we got a bit of a standoff because Wonderboy's a great counterfighter. He, he needs someone to be the aggressor so he can exploit that. Darren Till, on the other hand, is the aggressive fighter and he forces you to, to deal with his power, to deal with his strikes. He does that in a very intelligent way as well. I've been talking this week about the, um, the cowboy fight and how he was using the lead hand to kind of program his timing. Like, you need to be the aggressor to do that. You need to be, to be proactive with your game plan to do that. And for me, Tyron Woodley at least since he's got the belt, has very much been playing King of the Hill. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He, he kind of hangs back. He does exactly what's necessary just to keep hold of the belt. And and I think the fans can feel the intention behind it. Like yeah. we, like I'm, when I'm watching it, I can feel it. When the arena's watching it, the last three three of his title defences have ended in booze. That's because people can feel that he's he's there just to hold on to the belt and make his money. And that's not what we're, what we're watching. That's not what we want to see. Going backwards against the fence, though, and, and waiting for that counter the way he did against... Wonderboy throughout those two fights. Surely if you do that against someone like Darren Till, who has the ability to step in and step in quickly and throw heavy, surely that's going to be a massive mistake for Tyron Woodley. That, that, that makes me feel like we're not going to see Wonderboy Woodley part three here. We're going to see something completely different because T- Tyron Woodley can't stop against offence for me. He can't stop square on like he was so often against Wonderboy looking to, looking to slip that counter just because Till throws with such evil intent. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. And and the difference between the two is that Till will test his defence. It'll force him to work, even though he's not necessarily throwing his own combinations. Like, Till, Till will be trying to get inside his head. He'll be throwing feints. He'll be trying to draw Tyron Woodley's attack. Now, if I'm Tyron Woodley and I'm backed up against the fence, and I know really all I've got is a power double and a right hand, because that's that's his entire game is based on those two things now. Like, if I'm, if I'm hanging back and I've got Darren Till pushing forward and he's, and he's fainting and he's testing me... I'm not sure when to throw this. Yeah. And I'm holding this. This is not only my my potential finishing move, but this is my deterrent from being bullied. So he's got a... Uh, I was talking to Bad Chili Bertie about it. It's a friend of ours. It's like he's got like a like a nitrous booster. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like... And that's part, uh, part of the reason for me why he likes to stand with his back against the fence. Because he, he needs at least 15 foot to get his combination off because he sprints forward. Look at the Robbie Lawler fight. Look at the Jay Heron fight. He, he blasts through people with a 2-1-2, two, two, but he needs 15 feet of distance to cover. 
if he's got them back up against the fence, he's going to run into a clinch before he gets his right hand off. Yeah. So I think a part of the reason is to give him that space to move into. But then once you've hit that nitrous button and you're already in motion, if you're Tyron Woodley, yeah. if you're moving forward and your opponent's moving back, perfect. If you're moving forward and your opponent's Darren Till and he's going to cut an angle, you're potentially going to run onto a shin or a, or a left hand or something. So there's going to be a hesitation there for Tyron Woodley to, to press that button. He's like, is now the right time to use it? Especially if you've only probably got two or three in a round. Yeah. He's, he's got to be very, very uh, disciplined with, with his output. And I think that's where Darren Till takes advantage. It's all about small margins at this level, obviously, as you know so well. It, it, the, the difference between these guys at the top of the top of the welterweight division especially is, is minute, really. It can all come down to a mistake. But we've seen Woodley in a series of, of five-round fights now, decision wins. We've just seen Darren Till come through a very technical five-round decision win. Do you think the judges are going to play a part on Saturday? I think they could. I think they could. I think. I think if the judges do come uh, come into the into the equation, it, it doesn't work out too well for Darren. I think Darren needs to be the aggression. I think Darren will take risks in order to try and get the belt off Woodley to try and open him up. Um, if it gets if it gets to a decision, I kind of feel like Tyron's had his way again. Yeah. I feel like Ty- Tyron's been able to use his his power right hand and his takedown as a deterrent, or at least done enough just to kind of stifle Darren's Darren's progress. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the way that Tyron Woodley fights with the intention of, of getting to the judges and, and, and being safe. And if he manages to catch him with a right hand in, in the process, then great. Darren Till, on the other hand, I feel like he gets into the fight to beat his opponents up and stop them. So he's not even thinking about the judges. Yeah. And, and I think even though what we got, three three uh, decisions in a row, the Dalby, what was it, Dalby, Ayari and Boyan Velichkovic, mm-hmm. all three decisions... Even in the two unanimous decisions that he won, there wasn't an urgency to, to like, I, I need to beat him on the judges' scorecards. Yeah. He was always looking for the finish. Like yeah. the big elbow against Velichkovic, the counter right, uh, the counter left hands against uh, against Ayari. He's looking for the finish as opposed to thinking about putting him credit in the bank ready for the judges. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the fight itself, obviously, we could, we could sit and talk about that all day because it's so fascinating. There's so many facets to look at here which, which make it such a complete contest. But... Um, one thing I do want to ask you about is the fight that happens at 10 a.m. Friday morning at the hotel. It's already something that Darren and his coach Colin, the entire team, are sick of hearing about. But get used to it, boys. You haven't even had media week in, in Dallas yet. And that's going to be the first question on everyone's lips. For me, if Darren Till makes 170 10 a.m. Friday morning at the hotel in Vegas, that is the toughest part of this camp for him. No doubt. No doubt at all. And I think it's actually a benefit to him that he didn't make weight against Wonderboy. Because I think even if that had been a struggle to make weight, but he made it, he, he would have had that in the back of his mind that no matter how heavy he was, he's always going to make weight. It. You know what I mean? And I think the fact that he did miss, that he did make some miscalculations, that there were other things going on around him at the time that did perhaps distract him from his weight cut. I think I think the, the difference between where he was going into that fight, into that weigh-in, and where he's going into this weigh-in are very different. And obviously, being out at the Performance Institute, every day he walks through those doors. There are people there looking at his weight, looking at his diet, making sure he's eating the right thing. I mean, the Performance Institute is incredible. Have you? You've been I've never there? been. No, no. I, I, last time I was in Vegas, it was still being built. Right, we'll go out there when Connor's fighting Khabib. I'll, I'll, I'll show you around. It's absolutely incredible, and you can literally walk in. It. I mean, I. I could be in Vegas doing no training at all, just rock at the Performance Institute and tell them I want some food with this amount of protein, these amount of calories, and they just cook it up for you, and wow. there it is. And if you're Darren Till and you own a pizza shop, yeah, in Liverpool, the best yeah. thing to be is 5,000 miles <laughs> on the other side of the world. Ain't because, that the truth? Right? Because he'll walk in, they'll give him a piece of salmon and avocado and tell him to leave. Yeah, you know? yeah. And 
That's all your body needs. That's it. You're done. That's it. And you know, and he's got his entourage around him. They're all keeping an eye on him. So yeah. I think this is the the perfect perfect place for him to be to make weight yeah one thing about the weight cut and the, and the whole liverpool scenario and the questions about it that no no one's talked about but i think is quite critical is he failed to make weight against stephen thompson but then to fight stephen thompson the restriction put on him that he couldn't weigh more than i think it was 188 yeah. the night of the fight should he make 170 on friday and of course fingers crossed we all we all hope he does that restriction won't be there. So we won't have to stay on weight overnight. Now, you could argue that took something away from his performance against Stephen Thompson. He wasn't fully rehydrated. He wasn't. He was still kind of dieting the day of the fight. Um, that's gone. So he'll probably blow up to the best part of 200 pounds. Mm. Surely we're going to see a more, a fresher, a stronger, and a bigger and hungrier Darren Till. You would think the likelihood is that he is going to be heavier than he was on the one, on the night of the Wonderboy fight, and even even just the psychological ramifications of knowing that you've got to get up on fight day and weigh in again, even if you feel comfortable that you're going to make the weight, it's still on the back of your mind. It's it's something else other than the fight that you've got to think about. So it'd be a massive benefit to him to step on the scales. Obviously, not only because he has to to make sure he's fighting for the title, but to be able to just kind of draw a line under that and go, okay. That's done. Now fight day's here. All I have to do is beat this guy in front of me. Yeah. Were you ever in a position like that yourself where you thought, you were a lot from fighters, certainly guys like Darren who are so big that the first fight is the scales and then once the scales is done, it's like, I can enjoy myself now. This is the fun part now. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I always had that mindset anyway because the, the weight cutting thing, for, for me, that was the that was the start of the process, the, the mental process of preparing for the fight. Yeah. That, I think I may have mentioned this to you before. Like, I don't have hot showers after my, my weigh-in. Like, when weigh-in day starts, it's cold showers. I'm, I'm hot sauna and I'm cold shower because it's all suffering. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no... Like, I know a lot of these guys do hot baths to cut weight. That, yeah. for me, is too much of a spa treatment. Yeah. You know? And not, not the Mike Perry, not the Mike Perry, Darren Till spa treatment. Of course. Like, you know, hanging out in a bath... Getting your nails cut, right? Things like that. W when I've got to get in, get into it, an octagon and fight a guy the next day, it just puts me in a relaxed state. So for me, the hot shower comes after the fight. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, and that that for me, I, I like to keep myself in that place where I'm feeling a little bit like I'm suffering. I'm marching to war, you know, that I, and I like to maintain that. Whereas a lot of fighters, they like they like to kind of take the time and enjoy the weight cut, make it as 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 pleasant as possible, even though it is a very unpleasant thing to do. Um, but you can imagine for Darren, who is you know, I mean, he he's battling his way all the way through training camp. Once yeah. that once that's that's got a line drawn underneath it, it's just a massive pressure on I me. Mean, he can literally just enjoy himself from that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, the fight itself is yet to play out. Darren Till keeps reiterating. Though you mentioned it earlier, I'm going to clean out this division. I'm going to beat everybody at some stage. In rea in reality, though. I can't see that happening. No. You know, I, I think he's he's adamant he will make one defense. Should all go well on Saturday night, I, I personally don't even don't even think that may well play out. You know, I think the the middleweight division now has got two young guys who are going into tough. Obviously, Whitaker and, and Gastelum who are about to coach and then fight at the end of it. And I think by the time that's done, I think Darren Till will probably walk straight into a title shot if he is the welterweight champion at the time. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree. And I think I think it's almost a bit like Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith was was all right at, at middleweight, but when he stepped up to light heavyweight, is incredible. Yeah. Now, which Darren, is the same? Absolutely, which are the same. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, Kelvin Gastelum as well. Yeah, like Darren Till. The difference is obviously Darren Till is very very good at welterweight, but I still think we're going to see an elevation in his skill set and in his ability when he does move up to, to, to middleweight. And I think there are so many fascinating matchups for him there as well. I, I don't. Once he's beaten Tyron Woodley, I don't see much of a, a value in sticking around the division. 
But having said that, with him preparing at the Performance Institute, those guys are going to be able to tell him whether he can make welterweight again in the future. So yeah. th- they'll have a better idea and they'll be able to educate him on that and, and tell him you know, what, what's best for his performance. Obviously, when he is in Liverpool, it's all about training that team carbon. Very much a, a Spartan gym. You, you, we've both been there many times. Um, Colin Hedden, there's not many luxuries in there. You know, there's battered old bags, there's cold showers, there's all that kind of stuff. He's now at the Performance Institute where he's got, you know, he's gone from basically a Rocky-style gym to, you know, the the, the, the full luxuries of an Apollo gym, silk sheets. Yeah. You know, they, they, they've got a beautiful villa out in Las Vegas. He's gotten his meals cooked for him. You're taking away that Spartan lifestyle, that, that going to war mentality you were talking about earlier. Is there a risk there that takes an edge off his performance? Yeah, potentially. P- potentially, but I think he's so focused and he's got such a strong mindset. And, and I also think the, 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 the main thing, the main, the main benefit in him training at Cowboy is Colin Heron. There's yeah. no doubt about that. It doesn't really matter. They could be training out here outside the hotel in front of us and, and just get the same kind of workout. They can be in a super gym surrounded by all the best equipment. I think Colin Heron still instills that mentality in him that we're here to work. There's no, there's no off time. This is not a luxurious training camp. We're not Prince Nassim here. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not rolling deep with forty guys and eating all the best stuff. Yeah. We're not. We're here for business. Yeah. And for me, Colin Heron is is the perfect kind of person to have, keeping him grounded in Vegas. There's twelve of them out there, but from the pictures I've seen, all twelve are working. Yeah. There's nobody there on a Freeman's. They're Colin all Colin Heron's there. Hard. I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's there with the whip cracking. You. Don't enjoy that. Stop enjoying that. We're not in Stop Vegas. Smiling. Yeah. Yeah. You're sleeping in the yard tonight. <laughs> Just to finish on that point, how nice, for me, obviously, covering the sport for so long and you obviously being involved with UKMA, certainly you know, a pioneer for the sport here, how nice is it for you to look at them pictures and see Terry Etam as part of that camp? Because, you know, everybody who follows MMA knows Terry's story. You know, he, once he, he's compared to Anderson, the, the British Anderson Silva by Joe Rogan, we all thought he, his, his career path would ultimately lie with a lightweight title shot. And, you know, we know now that he was, you know, he's caught by one of the most sensational high right reel knockouts in history and, and kind of ended his career. But to see him as part of Darren Till's camp, it kind of makes me feel warm inside. Is that kind of a weird yeah. shout? No, absolutely. And and when when we did the open workouts ahead of the Wonder Boy fight, and I was chatting to him while while Darren was was hitting pads and stuff, and he was just so excited to be there. He was so happy to be there. And I, you know, I would imagine there are some fighters in that circumstance that they they had their run. It didn't quite work out as they'd wanted it to. But now they've got this younger guy in the gym that was coming up when they were having their run, and they're doing even better than them. And, I would imagine there are some fighters. I mean, we can we can often be quite selfish. You know, yeah. we we want we want we want to be the superstar because yeah. that's that's what drives us. So to see Terry Etim kind of take that back step and go, no, I'm here now to facilitate this guy. I'm here to 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 give this guy my best, all of my knowledge, all of my experience as a UFC fighter, and hope that he can elevate the position that I was in when I was a UFC fighter. It, it's it's amazing to see, and it, it just. It shows you what that gym's all about. It's a family atmosphere. They're there for each other. And that's why I think Darren Till is invested so heavily in Colin Heron and his training partners. Is Because even when he was in Brazil, he's, that, that was his family. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was his family. He, he's always been a part of Cowbon. Terry Etim's always been a massive inspiration for him. And, and I think that that really feeds Terry as well. I think Terry gets a lot of... A, there's a good energetic exchange there because of the respect that Darren Till gives him. And I think that really is what Terry needs to charge him up. 
This uh, entire card in Dallas, you mentioned it earlier, is absolutely sick. There's some amazing fights on there. Uh, before I ask you for some favourites, let's pick out the Brits on the card. Okay. Starting with uh, with Craig White, of course. Now Craig came in at late notice at UFC Liverpool, takes on you know one of the top ten ranked guys in the world in a co-main event on his debut. It was kind of insane. But he gets rewarded here out in Dallas. He gets rewarded with Diego Sanchez, who, you know, every MMA fan knows is never in a bad fight. You know, is you know exactly what you're going to get with Diego. This zombie walk forward, throw punches approach. Pretty much guaranteed to win 50 grand if you go the distance with him, win, lose or draw. But for someone like Craig White to have this as your second fight, you know, you know bit of a legend of the sport, you know, tough one competitor, let's be honest. Whether you think he should still be in the sport or not is a completely different conversation. But to get Diego Sanchez in your second fight in America, that's like the stuff dreams are made of. With a full camp as well. Yeah, I'm jealous. Honestly, it's a great fight for him. And, you know, with Craig Beans, he's he's tall, he's rangy, he's durable, he's strong. Diego Sanchez has been down to featherweight. Uh, You know what I mean? Craig, Craig White yeah. struggles to make to make well. Did Diego weight. win tough one at middleweight as well? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just, I think, I think the old school veterans they just tried all the weight classes yeah. to see what worked. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Did Kenny Florian fight at heavyweight yeah. at one point? You know, Bizarre. it's crazy. This is a perfect fight for Craig White. He really can shine in this one. Diego, you know exactly what you're going to get with Diego. He's going to move forward, like you said. He is very reckless. He does fight face first. And, and Craig White likes to get blooded up. He likes to be in a bit of a war. And I think he's younger. He's more durable. He's, he's not necessarily more dynamic in his skill set because Diego's got a lot of good skills, even if he doesn't tend to use them anymore. But I think that the ranges in which Diego wants to contend in this fight, I think Craig can more than handle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other Brit on the card is the dentist, Adam Stewart. Yeah. Um, taking on Charles Baird up at middleweight, obviously... Darren's, you know, he looks sensational getting into the UFC, struggling to really put a bit of a, a run to re- together, get some momentum going. Um, what does Charles Beard bring to the bring to the octagon? What's what's his kind of strengths and where's where's Darren's route to victory here? Um, he's he's got to knock him out. Ultimately, Darren has. Charles Bird's a great wrestler. The the thing that stood out to me is that he's he's a great athlete, but he's undersized for the weight class. But the benefit in that, and we're seeing this across weight classes now, particularly welterweight and middleweight, is that the smaller guys are able to keep a faster pace and work harder. Yeah. And, and if you're a grinding wrestler like Charles Bird is, I, I think there's a, it's a benefit to not be quite as big as these guys. You know, Darren Stewart is he's a, he's a horrendously powerful puncher. Yeah. When he does land, I mean, he, people, people are switched off. Charles Bird can threaten that takedown over and over again. That's going to keep Darren just kind of second-guessing himself and waiting to, to know when to throw that. It, it's a very, very tough fight for Darren Stewart. I was impressed with Charles Bird on the Contender Series, and I, and I do think that even if he stays at middleweight, I think he's, he's got the skills to go very far. But, you know, the, the dentist can still stop people with one punch. So yep. as, as long as Charles Bird's not, not rushing forward and, uh, and making mistakes, it, it's going to be a tough test for Darren Stewart, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um Right, I can't go on any longer without talking about my girl. Your girl. My, my girl, girl, of course. Do, do, Valentina Shevchenko. Do, do, the bullet. Do, do, oh, do, swoon. Do, 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 Honestly. Do, 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 do. I got sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> she, is, uh, she returns here, of course, fighting for second shot at a title uh, down at flyweight now. She's just too big, Dan. She's too mean, Dan. She's too strong, Dan. And there's no way she leaves the octagon without this flyweight title belt. I'm sorry. I'm no. sorry. Whatever you're going to say now, it doesn't going to make any sense because Valentina is going to leave a bullet shell in the middle of the octagon and take that gold with her. Yeah. 
I honestly can't see it going any other way. Uh, fair play to, to Nico for stepping up, but it, it was similar to the to the uh, the Carla Esparza situation. Yeah. You know, she came through the Ultimate Fighter, she got the belt, and then she's got to fight someone like Joanna. This is the same situation with Nico. She she got through tough, she got the belt. Unfortunately, now she's in the real world, and Valentina Shevchenko's going to make this weight class her own. There was actually a promo shot the other day with uh, Nico out in the desert in Las Vegas with the belt, and my first thought was oh she's gonna go and bury that so valentina can't have it <laughs> that, was, that was the first thing i thought i mean in nico's defense she's taken a lot of time off we don't know what she's been adding to her game yeah but from what we've seen of shevchenko for how well-rounded she is for how well she deals with fighters that are so much bigger than her when she was fighting at, at, at uh, bantamweight she's coming down to this weight class she's just gonna be an absolute monster yeah i think it would be a massive shock if she doesn't make off with that gold at the weekend and I can really see her put together quite an extensive run in this flyweight division yeah. as well and now her sisters join the UFC also honestly it's like my wet dream <laughs> it really is it's kind of crazy but uh and a blonde and a brunette as well well there you go it's best of both worlds isn't it? the old yin and yang it's the perfect balance <laughs> uh what else on the card is jumping out to you then what are you looking forward to um the first fight on the main card I'm really interested in Abdul Razak Al-Hassan I called his debut in uh Dublin yeah and He's one of those guys. He's, he's, he's got that, that Paul Daly kind of power. He's got rockets in both of his hands. You, you just know that he's, that he's got the potential just to, just to, even just a glancing shot. He's got that weight in his, in his punches that, a bit like John Lineker, you know what I mean? Yeah. When, when the punch lands, it just looks like someone's been hit with a kettlebell and they just fall over with, with nothing in their legs. The other thing that people don't realize about Al Harson is that he's got a real strong judo background as well, right. which is which is what allows him to just kind of lunge forward with these big power punches. Because if you clinch up with him, he's probably going to throw you through the air. Yeah, and uh, and Price is tough, durable, tall, rangy. You know, a very difficult guy to deal with. A bit more experience. You know, three inches in reach, a lot of height advantage. I think that's going to be a fascinating one. It's a bit of a sleeper on the card because they're both relatively quiet. But when they face off, I just think it's going to be it's going to be carnage. I'm really excited for that one. Yeah, that Al Hassan did make a statement, didn't he, on his debut? And yeah. you know, there's, there's certainly momentum is it behind Ward? him. He, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he absolutely destroyed him, didn't he? Yeah. You know, and um, don't get me wrong, I think Charlie Ward. It was probably a step up too soon. Anyway, it was one of Connor's team. But do you think Al Hassan's got the potential to to go much further in the sport, or is, are you still seeing he's quite raw at the moment? He is very raw. Yeah. He's a very very raw That's what talent. I'm seeing, yeah. What I would like to see is someone that can really push him in a grappling exchange and see how his how his uh, his muscle fatigue works out for him because he's so heavily muscled and he is very powerful. You tend to find with those guys that they, you know they can engage really well for a short period of time, but then they need time to breathe. And Nico Price is. He's, he's a bit of a grinder. He's very awkward. He moves a little bit like Keith Jardine. You know what I mean? He's got yeah. that kind of awkward rhythm where you don't see his punches coming necessarily. And they don't, they're not necessarily, you know, really damaging punches, but they can certainly wear you down. Yeah. And if, you're, if, you've, if you've expended, a, you know, 60 seconds of, of energy and now you're trying to recover and you've got this tall, rangy guy just walking forward, picking you off, that's incredibly exhausting. So that it, this is going to be a tough test for him, I think. I, I think that we'll, we'll really see what, um, what he can do with a with an awkwardly shaped and sized and and, uh, and skilled opponent. Um, but I, I do think he has the potential. I, I, I mean, he's, he's got all the physical attributes and all the technical skills. We just need to see him pushed in certain areas to see if he can cope with the pressure. Yeah, exactly. At this stage in his career, so early on, you know, th this is the job that, that UFC matchmakers have that a lot of people don't really grasp. And that's like, 
they've got dozens and dozens of these guys coming through in their first, second fight, and matching them is 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 pretty critical. You know, you're trying to give them the right tests at the right time. At the end of the day, you know, the UFC is a business. It's trying to find the next, you know, Conor McGregor, the next John Jones, the next Anderson Silva, of course, is. It wants pay-per-view stars. So matchmaking these guys is critical at the right time. And likewise, Nico Price, you know, this is opportunity to shut down someone that's got momentum behind them. Yeah. This, for me, is why it's so important to have to have good a good foundation in mixed martial arts to feed the UFC. Like for me, when I signed with the UFC, I had 25 fights, and I had Ian Dean matching at least half of those fights. Yeah. And Ian Dean, Cage Warriors matchmaker for, for years and years, is for me definitely one of the best matchmakers in the world. And I never got easy fights from Ian Dean. I always, I always had somebody with a winning record. I always had somebody with a certain skill that was going to test me and push me. Yeah. So when I finally arrived at the UFC, I was like, well, I've seen everything. These guys are going to be better at it. Of course. But at least when I see it, I know what's happening. I'm not going to be caught by surprise. Yeah. A lot of the guys now are getting to the UFC, you know, 6-0, and 7-0. The UFC are picking these guys up because of the unbeaten records. And then the idea is that they cultivate them into something. But if they've got six or eight or ten fights against Uber drivers... Of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, how do you match them when they get to the UFC? I don't feel like that's the case with that, uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. But yeah. I have seen that with a lot of people. There have been a lot of guys that, like, I mean... The one that stands out to me is Shaman Marais. I was so excited to see him in the UFC. And I just I don't feel like he hit his potential. I feel like he was a monster outside of the UFC. But when he signed to the UFC, the, the, the level that he had to step up to, he just didn't have that adaptability in his game and he struggled. Um, that might be the case with Al Harson, but we don't know until we, until we see him really pushed. Um, and I think this is going to be the fight to do it. Do you think the UFC would benefit? We see in Cage Warriors at the weekend. They start their shows now with Cage Warriors Academy card, which is you know a lot of guys making pro debuts and you know very early on in their career, and they differentiate between that level and another level. And in boxing, you know we often see Sky Sports will do a next generation show on a Friday night, and it'll be young prospects against you know journeymen or different guys we're going to show them different things but they kind of announce it as such now i know we've got dana white's tuesday night contender series where he finds the next superstar on ice or whatever it's called <laughs> um, but that for me seems like a, a fast track into the ufc rather than a schooling area for the ufc mm. uh, do you think there's scope for something like that like ufc uncut or ufc the university or something ufc like that? university yeah, that man. yeah trademark definitely that. <laughs> definitely and See, I think the Ultimate Fighter was was a good, um, it was a good litmus test for a lot of guys because it put them in a very extreme environment where they had to adapt very quickly. And what we saw, particularly with the, I mean, you you think the amount of guys that came through the Ultimate Fighter that did really well in the UFC that had they not gone through the Ultimate Fighter, we probably would have never heard of them. Of course, the likes of Forrest Griffin, for example, that that they they grew so quickly under the you know in the ultimate fighter house with that time that they had around those you know around those other people that were going to test them that were trying to take their place i think that was a, a really good developing uh, area for people i think the tuesday night contender series is not that but i think it's a good filtration process you know you, you grab 10 fighters you match them all up you take three or four out of there yeah and then you know the guys that lost haven't necessarily you know they've not missed their opportunity mm -hmm. but they've stepped up and they've realized that they've not got the ingredients they've got to step back down and and, and find those skills yeah for me the way that the ufc cards are, are divided up i mean usually they're divided into three so the early fight past prelims what we've got what, four or five on this card yeah like there's no reason why at least the first sort of three four fights couldn't be b-class fighters they couldn't be guys that that are in a separate category to the rest of the roster 
and they have to win a certain amount of fights before we elevate them. Yeah. Like Muay Thai for me always, you know, there was A, B, and C class rules. That's right. And I, I like that separation because you go, okay, I've beaten several C class fighters now. I think I'll take a, 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 a B class fight. Yeah. It's the same with boxing, they elevate the rounds. Don't well, you, they? you have the novice ABA championships, the under 10s, then the under 20 bout novice championships, and then you go into the full, the full senior novice, you know, the full senior championships. So again, it's not until you've had. You can go in a certain category under ten bouts, then under twenty bouts. Once you're under twenty bouts, now you're open. You're open then, so it, it would make sense to me, and especially the way the UFC is. It's it's much more than just a promotion. It's much more than that. We we all know it. You yeah. know, it, it's a dominant force in the sport. It really does lead the way. It's got the biggest roster. It's got the most fights and the most fighters. And I certainly wouldn't complain about that. And, it, and it'd be nice to see the likes of Sage North cut, cut his teeth on early prelims and then maybe become like the headline of the early prelims and mm-hmm. then once you do it there it's like okay this guy's now made card ready exactly when you've got guys like mickey gall and, yep. and cm punk you know guys that are they're not ready they're not ready to be on a ufc card i like mickey gall i think he's a fascinating character but he's not ufc level just no. yet and you look at the guys that he's calling out he's not calling out guys that are going to elevate him up through the ufc rank i mean he called me out for a start he's called diego sanchez out now you know what i mean he's just picking off the old guys yeah. he's gonna call matt hughes out and chuck the <laughs> soon yeah. you know it's coming chuck <laughs> like they're the kind of guys that you could build up as a main event on a yeah. prelim card that get people more engaged in the prelims yeah but then the other way of doing it is for the ufc to have a better relationship with all of the other organizations like they've got a great relationship with invicta with uh Cage Warriors, obviously, there's several US promotions, Titan, and you know these are starting to become feeder shows to the UFC. Absolutely. What I would like to see, and we've definitely discussed this before, because it's it's necessary for the sport, is an exchange situation where guys can move up through Cage Warriors or whatever promotion it is and get signed to the UFC. But at the same time, when guys have, have worked their way through the UFC and they're not quite ready to then be stepped back down yeah. to a lower weight, to, to a lower promotion, to yeah. You know, when we, we lost Rob Whiteford, we lost uh, Norman Park. They were two that stuck out in my mind. They would have been perfect guys to go, okay, it's not quite working out in the UFC right now. Let's put you as a main event or co-main event on Cage Warriors yeah. and, and get you a couple of wins and see if you've got the skills then. On that perfect note then, you know, would there have been, with that in mind, there would have been absolutely no love lost if we seen at the weekend, obviously Paddy Pimlet headlined at the Echo Arena, but Molly McCann as co-main event, defending her flyweight world title, back at Cage Warriors. And then, you know, she can go on again and, and fight in the UFC again when the time is right. And then, you know, when, when they're actually at the top level, then they make the break full time. But having that, as you say, that conversation, especially with promotions that they've got, a st- UFC have a strong relationship with anyway, would make perfect sense. Because you, I often feel for Invicta and feel for Cage Warriors, we think... You've, you've matched these people so well. You've put so much work in to build the profile. And then it's like, a, okay, bye. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I know Graham has a, a management thing, but you know, he's not reaping the rewards of what Conor's success has been. Yet Cage Warriors made Conor McGregor who he is. They built that foundation. Mm. They matched him. They made him a double world champion. And in no way, shape or form, and they now reaping the rewards. There should be some kind of feedback to them. Definitely, without a doubt. And, and I think... I mean, Cage Warriors do a good job of, of promoting themselves as the promotion that builds UFC yeah. fighters because, I mean, I think their conversion rate from, from fighters on their roster to, to people that cross over to, you, to the UFC is probably unmatched yeah. across, across, all the, across the rest of the sport. But you, you are right. And I think, I mean, for the benefit of the fighters, because the, there comes that point where there's a bit of a panic. You lose two in a row. You lose three in a row. You're yeah. like, okay, now I've got to win this one. Otherwise, I'm just... 
released into the wild. Yeah. You know, if you go, oh, I've lost two fights. Maybe this was too much of a step up. The UFC matchmakers come to you and say, look, we've got this fight, which is near your hometown. We want you to main event it. They're going to get you a fighter that's that's we're keeping an eye on that's potentially UFC level. Yeah. We'll see where you're both at. If you get that win, we'll move you back up or, you know, get get two wins and then go then 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 step back up. The, the the two the, the Rob Whiteford and Norman Park ones was st- that stood out to me because when we went to Belfast we didn't have Norman Park yeah and we went to Glasgow we didn't have Rob Whiteford mental and both of those guys were were released and they just they, there's that fear because now you back out you, you're in the free market you don't know whether someone wants to pick you up you're probably going to get signed to some some obscure promotion that's going to put you in against some Dagestani yeah. wrestler that's going to dump you on your head. Well, that's exactly what happened in Rob Whiteford's case. He mm. signed with ACB, and now ACB look like they're not putting shows on, or they are putting shows on. We don't know, but he's kind of contractually now tied to them, and he's like, I'm not getting fights. So mm-hmm. his career's basically been stalled because of it. Yeah. But if you had that ability to jump between the promotions, and, it, and you know, do you think the long term... In America, you know, they have the Muhammad Ali Act where you can't be tied into a promoter. You're contractually in boxing. You can't. You're protected by law from being locked into these kind of deals, which tie you in for your entire career. Do you think ultimately that's where mixed martial arts will end up as well? That, that whether it's that law or something similar will come over and allow fighters to go. I've got to fight on Bellator. I've got to fight in UFC. Don't get me wrong. You know, UFC on the biggest and best shows so chances are most guys are going to jump there anyway yeah. but if there's an opportunity to make some money and Bellator come to your hometown it should be allowed yeah uh, without a doubt and it, and it's you know it's a benefit to to everybody to to keep these guys active that fighters fighters want to stay active because they've got bills to pay if you're fighting two times a year you're getting two paychecks a year. You're not necessarily going to have sponsors, especially if you're with the UFC. It's difficult to get sponsors because you can't advertise them in the fights now. So, so you, the, the financial ramifications of not fighting three, four times a year. I, mean, I used to fight 10, 12, 14 times a year. I, yeah. I like to stay busy. Some fighters are better when they stay busy. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Darren Till would be better if he fought every two months just yeah. because that's the way that he, you know he's a very active guy. He he's, wants to be busy. That's his background as well. Yeah. As, a tight, as a Mai Tai fighter, that's kind of the way it was when he was a kid and keep them busy it, it. anyway that's for the future let's get back to this card at the weekend let's get back to uh, we always got back to Dallas I know yeah exactly we'll talk about boxing gloves soon <laughs> oh yeah tell us about the boxing gloves you've ordered oh yeah <laughs> yeah Trevor Whitman I can't wait to get them I've just ordered a pair of your boxing gloves on X I'm really excited it's, it's a new design and I've felt for many, many years that boxing gloves need redesigning because they're not ideal. No, people get injured all the time, especially uh, like how many boxers break their hands? Yeah, well, you know, I've never boxes? broken any of my hands because I spent ten years punching stuff without gloves on. Right. You okay. Know? I think there's yeah, a benefit yeah. to that. And Trevor Whitman's new gloves—they they don't need wraps. Wow. And I think that's the way forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So shout out to Trevor Whitman. Absolutely. Even though you just cost me a load <laughs> of money. <laughs> I'm just going to say, cost you a small fortune. <laughs> um, let's get back to Dallas before yeah. we get to Dallas. Um, just some of the names on the card, Frank Camacho, Jim Miller, you know, Aljamain Sterling versus Stamen, you know, Rivera versus Dodson, right. Esparza versus Suarez. Right. And then none of them are on the main card? No. That's all there's, there's on no fire? Way, there's no way Dodson's making weight with that new haircut. <laughs> no, Have you no seen way. it? Yeah, it looks exactly. like a microphone. <laughs> if he dyed his hair blue. <laughs> yeah. No, it is a stacked card. I mean, Jim Miller on the, on the prelim is crazy. It, it's yeah, there's a, there's there's a lot of fun fights on this one. The one that that stands out to me, and I'm gonna say his name one time, then I want you to say it, Nick. Okay, is because uh, I know you always go with the beast, but it's a uh, it's a bit uh, it's a bit Magomed Sharapov. Absolutely, it's, it's a bit Magomed Sharapov. 
Sharapov? Sharapov. Sharapov. The bit. The beast. The beast. The beast. And he is a beast. He is. My goodness. He is spectacular. Just the way he moves. I remember I remember Mark Henry telling me about this guy when uh, I was chatting to him just after Eddie Alvarez fought for the title and I was chatting to Mark Henry. He's like, these guys, wait till you see the next wave. Wait till you see the next wave. I'm like, I'm like, what? He's like, I've got this kid at the moment. He's called Zabit. You've never seen anybody move like really? him. You've never seen anybody move like him. So when, when he was added to the card, I was calling his debut. I thought to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see this kid. And I showed up fight week. He rocks up looking like a geography teacher. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I, I thought, I can't be the same guy. No, can't be the same guy. We, we need a tweed jacket with some elbow pads. <laughs> he, did, he literally looks like a geography teacher. But then he's like, like his first kick, his, his debut in the UFC, does a showtime kick off the yeah. fence. Yeah. And he's that easy, like 6'2", tall, rangy, very, very well-rounded and dangerous. I'm excited to see him fight. He, from what we've seen so far, he's totally unpredictable. He seems 100% comfortable in every single position. And that allows him this freedom to just do outlandish shit. Mm. And it's just resonating with the fans. And you, as you say, you look at him. He looks like a pasty, hairy geography <laughs> teacher. Or, you know, Russian language teacher or something. You know, he's got that hairy chest. Very much a pigeon chest. It doesn't look much of him. No. You know, he's one of them guys that, you know, you see standing outside, uh, Eastern European guys, see standing outside Yates' wine lodge where walking past when a load of drunks spill out and they kind of go, hey, 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 and give it, and you just think, you know, he's an Uber driver. Right. You think nothing yeah. of him. But he would tear the place yeah. apart if he Tornado wanted to. Tornado kick, take three <laughs> yeah. people out. <laughs> exactly. But I love that, though. Yeah. You've got to love that about him. And, you know, right now, surely the UFC are giving this guy, you know, making sure his English lessons are on point, selling him, getting this personality out. And you know what? If he's, if, if the personality isn't there, then we go down the road of, like, this dark Dagestani, you know, warlord, you know, quiet, stoic. Yeah. Because he's kind of got that Khabib edge without looking... Like, if you look at Khabib, you walk at Khabib in the street, you think... There's no way I'm looking at him sideways. No. If you're a normal dude, you look at the bit, you'll be like, hey, mate, any chance of getting me car? You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 It, he's, he's very, very unassuming. But just the way he moves, just the way he moves, it's the fluidity. Uh, and the as we're seeing the, the sport grow and, and the progress of these fighters, it, it's it's the seams. That's what that's what we're getting rid of now. For me, I was a striker that learned jujitsu, and then I had to add wrestling in between. So I had seams between those yep. three ranges. Yep. The better these guys get, the younger these guys get, and and that's why John Jones, I think, stood out was because he he was it was effortless and seamless in his transitions from one range to another. Zabit moves like he's been doing this his whole life, like he's been like he started with mixed martial arts. I think he had a was it a sambo background. Um, More than likely, most yeah. of them did from that region. But he's just a very tough individual, very, very, very dynamic individual. Oh yeah, Sander Wushu. There we go. So yeah. Sander Wushu champion. So, so some some kung fu style in there, which is where his wild kicking comes from. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, Mark Henry learning some Russian terms as well to communicate with him. Really? In the corner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, respect to these coaches. Remember when Greg Jackson was doing it with the accents yeah, as well? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like Mental. It. <laughs> with, with guys like Zabit then, is this, as you say, it's, is this the first glimpse of Generation X, if you like? You know, the, this 2020-style generation, let's call it. I think I think we get caught up a little bit and go like, oh, Sage Northcott, he's so young. He's been doing MMA his whole life. This is his thing. But with Sage Northcott, you can see the glaring holes in his game. He isn't the complete fighter, far from it. He's got potential. But, that's, but with Zabit, when you see him move and you see him fight, are we starting to come away from the, oh, 
he does his boxing like this, he does his kickboxing like that, his jiu-jitsu is like this, where, st- where we still kind of differentiate, oh, this is his strength and this is what he does, and oh, now he's in trouble because now he's now he's in his world. Are we? Is this the first glimpse we're seeing of, of even, it may even be like commentary changing as well, it'll just be more of a flow of mix, everybody is just mixed martial arts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I still think people will gravitate towards things that they prefer. I, I think even those of it uh, is great on the floor. I think he still prefers striking. The majority of his fights, he does he does try and force his fighters into a into a, a striking range. But but when it hits the floor, he's just so smooth on the floor as well, moving around people, setting up his rear naked chokes that it's it's like it's secondary to him, but it's it's equal to his striking skills if that yeah. makes sense. So so it's only secondary out of choice. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of that because the majority of people now that are, that are starting this are starting with mixed martial arts. They're not starting with taekwondo and then adding things. They're not starting with wrestling and then adding boxing. Like It's going to be difficult soon for, for Bruce Buffer because he's not going to be able to say, this man is a striker and grappler. This man is a jiu-jitsu practitioner. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't say everybody's a mixed martial artist because <laughs> yeah, it, it just gets old after a while. You know, <laughs> This guy is a geography teacher with a spinning heel kick like, from hell. <laughs> he's going to be more creative with it soon. <laughs> um Let's finish off then by talking about the final fight on the main card that we haven't discussed. We've kind of been through everything else, but um, Carolina against Jessica Andrade. Kavalkovic? Yeah, yeah. Kavalkovic. Kavalkovic, yeah. I nailed that. Or, Listen. or Kovalkovic. Kovalkovic, yeah, for the American pronunciation. Yeah. For me, I've got to be honest, I think Carolina is the most underappreciated personality in this sport. Yeah. I love her. I think she fights fantastic, but the way she walks, the way she presents herself, the way she walks into the octagon and just kind of sits down mm. or just leans against the fence, yeah. just like she's waiting for a bus. That's it. I'm like, um, why have we not you. jumped on this? And winks at you. Yeah. Le- leans up against the fence, legs crossed, hands behind her back, and, w- and winks at you specifically. Yeah, mate. <laughs> absolutely, that's, that's she does. <laughs> absolutely. But we, why have the UFC not jumped on this? Because there's a story there. She could be a superstar. Yeah. I think, you know. Eastern European MMA, Polish MMA is in such a strong place right now because it's it's the national sport over there. They're all absolutely bonkers about it, as we know. They've got like the Ronda Rousey bad girl kind of image with Joanna. They've got that already. Carolina's kind of that region's golden girl. Yeah. You know, she's like their Misha Tate. Yeah. It's like, let's get behind her, let's fall in love with her, tell us her story because as I say, she gets in the octagon. It's like she's fucking waiting for the cupcakes to be delivered. And that's exactly it. They, they, it's almost like the two sides of the same coin for me, Joanna and Carolina, because Joanna's the great striker, really good fighter, but she's she's got the bad girl attitude. She's a bit, she's feisty, she's mean. Yeah. Carolina's the sweetheart. She's the she's the Joe Calderwood of, of Poland. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. She's, the, yeah. she's just nice, pleasant, sweet, and then you see her just punch people in the face, and you just like you can't make that connection. And I find that quite fascinating. But yeah. I think she. I think she is. She's incredibly talented. I thought a, a performance of a Felice Herrig was great, and I think Felice is underestimated as well. Seeing her beat Jodie Escabel in, in Poland was was really special as well because I think you know she was coming off two losses. She lost to Joanna, and I think that she felt like that had really impacted the the perspective of the Polish fans of her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know Claudia Gade is just incredibly tough, incredibly difficult to deal with. She's, you know, I, I, for me personally, I think Claudia, aside from obviously Rose, I think Claudia is the, you know, the next best test for Joanna. Mm-hmm. But then, you, you know, you, you bring Jessica Andrade into, into the mix and 
people often forget that she dropped 20 pounds to make this weight class. Yep. You know what I mean? She used to be a bantamweight. She she missed flyweight entirely. Yeah. She just she challenged Demet- she, she should have just challenged Demetrius Johnson on the way over. <laughs> but she, she finds herself at straw weight now and, and she's she she's she's not got the skills of Claudia Gadea, but she's got a physical presence that makes her incredibly intimidating. I mean, as as Goldie always used to say, her nickname Joe translates to pile driver. And that is literally her nickname is is pile driver. <laughs> and the way that she fights, just that that tight, taut, uh, tight, tucked up, aggressive. You know, she shells up, she bowls forward with power punches. They're the kind of fighters that I think can cause Carolina problems because they can overwhelm her. I don't think Carolina has the skills to hold people back. I think she's good if there's a striking range established and they're exchanging shots. But I feel like when there's someone that can just kind of bowl through that range and start really pressuring her, that's when Carolina starts to struggle. So I think we're going to need to see some adaptation in Carolina's game. And I think that Jessica Andrade, she's she's just the bulldozer of the division. Yeah. She's difficult for everybody, no she matter is. who they are. Yeah, of course. Um, thanks for joining us on the show. Much Anytime. appreciated. Adam, where Coward. are you, mate? Yeah, exactly. Coward. Um before we sign off, quick thank you to the Pullman Hotel who've hosted us for the podcast today, right in the, after, right in the shadows of the Echo Arena and for their lovely background music, for the lift music as well. We're not in a lift. We're just in some seedy nightclub from the sounds of things. <laughs> but uh, uh, one last word then on the main event, Dan. What's your, what's your final predictions? What are we gonna get, is the UK going to get its second UFC champion or are you holding back until we, until we hit the scales on Friday morning? Well, no, I'm going to assume that the Performance Institute is going to do right by Darren Till and get him on weight. Um, I th- honestly, I think it's Darren Till's fight to lose because I think he's intelligent enough to know exactly what to expect from Tyron Woodley. And I think he's cerebral enough to be able to set him up for something. I think the first two rounds are going to be tough. And I think they would be against Tyron Woodley for any fighter because he's, he, cause he's dangerous and he's powerful. But the intelligence in the striking range is what is what sets them apart. And the difference with... with with Till and Wonderboy is that Till likes to be on the front foot being the aggressor and Woodley wasn't playing the game that Wonderboy needed in order to show his best so it's it's a it's a very very winnable fight for Darren Till the X factor obviously is always that Tyron Woodley can hit you with one shot yeah you know what I mean and that's 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 it but I'm I'm hopefully going to be there commentating so I'm I'm going to try and stay on the fence but uh Come on, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely the gorilla king listen we didn't make all those t-shirts for nothing that's all i'm gonna say by the way if you bought a t-shirt thank you so much they're pretty much all gone now so if you're after the fight t-shirt check out full reptile collective you're Dan's not having got my fight disciples one <laughs> <laughs> you're not having my fight disciples one the gorilla on the back's awesome <laughs> dan's got his full range over there full reptile collective so check that out as well um and we will catch you from Dallas next time. Check Dun. us out on, follow us Dun. on social media at Fight Disciples, of course, uh, right across social. I'm going to be all over Dallas and then obviously back next week. Maybe Adam will turn up in studio, maybe he won't. What I'll try and do is get some footage of me and Dan in Dallas as well, tucking into some, you know, some good, hearty, something Texan food, <laughs> 20 gallon hats, all that kind of caper. So um, appreciate it, man. Yeah, Let's man. have a safe journey and enjoy Can't it. Wait. Can't wait. Bring that wait. belt home with us. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.